Hey guys, welcome back to the VK Business Club podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa, and in today's episode, I'm speaking with my accountant slash brother slash bestie, Nathan. So we chat about structuring your business properly, making sure your business plan is realistic, what governance, solvency, and tax are and why all three of these are equally important, if not like the three most important things when it comes to having a business. We go into depth about contracts, setting aside money for tax time, business liabilities and money for a rainy day. Nathan explains why it's very important to have a realistic approach to your budget and your business. Uh, We speak about what you can and can't write off for tax purposes. And if you've ever seen that hilarious um, part of Shit's Creek when they're talking about writing off to the tax man. This is just like, ugh, this is so funny. And I'm actually like laughing in the podcast episode. Um, scaling your business. And finally, we speak about making sure you're actually ready financially to start a business. So the reason why I wanted to bring Nathan on was because um, I believe there's a lot of um, questions that newbies have when they're starting a business and we don't necessarily know where to go. Um, Well, in my case, I wasn't ready and I definitely didn't want to just take for word what other people thought or Googling or looking on social media or watching a YouTube video. Um, The best part about this episode is that Nathan shares this honest and digestible nuggets of wisdom that can be applied across all different niches. So whether you're in beauty, foodie or fashion industry, I believe you're going to find this episode extremely beneficial. And to some degree, it is quite generic information. And and then in other parts, you'll notice that we've spoken about VK branding as being the example without giving too much of the financial component away. So get your pen and paper out. This one is going to be so good for the newbies in business or even people who don't quite have the resources um, or the means to properly like audit their business from a financial perspective and ensure like they have everything that they need come tax time. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. All the relevant links and resources we discuss are in the show notes. Um, I look forward to hearing your feedback on this episode. And if you have any questions regarding like finance, um, especially when it comes to like tax, please send me an email and we are definitely keen to do a part two. Hope you guys enjoy and I'll speak to you soon. All right, so I ask every podcast guest when they come on how they started their morning today. Oh, mm. well, this morning I woke up and got the dog ready and we went for a walk around, around the suburb and went to get a coffee mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, came back, put a load of washing on, yeah, had a little bit of coffee, watch something on YouTube and here we are. Are you prepared to go back to work next week? Because you have to go back into the office soon, don't you? Because we've been at home for like, what, four months now working from home? Oh, yeah. It's been a different world. But I, I'm prepared. I'm just not certain of how how that will all go, particularly around public transport is my main. I mean, I can get over wearing a mask all day in the office, but I'm just not comfortable yet with the concept of public transport. Totally. It could I be think- that get, getting in really early maybe. Is the, is the key and leaving early to avoid yeah. the peak. 
Yeah, totally. I think that's like how every person is. But at this stage, we're like, we're ready to go back now and just have some sense of normality. But so today I wanted to bring you on because I had a lot of questions when I first started my business and it was all things that I look back at now and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I didn't have Nathan, who is my brother, I don't know where I would be. So when it comes to business, I wanted to dedicate an episode to helping people who are just starting out in business, who need a bit of clarification and who are not sure where to actually go to actually get the right type of questions. So I'd love for you to start with giving us some tips on, um, you know, when people want to start a business, what are five things that you would recommend that they do? So assume I'll assume for this question that someone's already at the stage where they've decided they are going to start a business, right? They've got their idea or their, their concept or the thing that they want to sell. So I think from my perspective, it's always structure is the first um, concept that a lot of people skip right over. Um, a lot of people want to go straight to, I'm going to build a website and sell something, and that's great. But structuring is really important, especially when you think about a long-term business enterprise. And and when I mean structuring, and I'll, and I'll go through it a bit more later, you can be a sole trader. You can set up a business through a company um, or through a trust, for example. You might have a partnership with someone. And... And there's some layers to that and without getting technical, you know, a company can be owned by another company or another trust, for example. And, and it's really important to, to get an understanding of what the differences are because different structures can cost more to set up. Different structures have different um, implications over time. But also it's very hard to change your structure later so once you start your business and you've got a successful business going and you're making all this money it's very hard to um to change the structure it's not impossible but it's very hard so i always advocate to make sure you understand at least understand the different structures um, Mm -hmm. that you can operate in other more practical issues um you know registering the business registering the business for an abn getting an understanding of gst um Registering your business name is really important to stop, you know, particularly for sole traders, just to stop anyone else using the same name. Um, get your contracts in order. So um, it's a really core concept is um, what happens to a lot of people is they enter into um, business deals without contracts, particularly where your business idea is a services business, where you're offering your own time, basically. And, um, and it can expose you quite a bit, especially for um, when issues arise. Um, understanding as well intellectual property, so really important for creative businesses. Are you going to be developing something that is um, born out of your own mind, out of your own creative process, and do you want to own the rights to that? Um, because we have seen a lot of... You know, particularly with um, social media and um, people just stealing stuff, basically, and then claiming it as their own, or um, maybe clients being offended for you reusing your own content with other clients. So it's really important to understand intellectual property, um, and I'm happy to touch on that a bit more later if you want. Okay, so we've got so you register your business name. You're figuring out where do you sit amongst these different. Um, 
I guess they're like how you would describe yourself. So you've got sole trader, you've got freelancer and you've got um, contractor. Can you just touch on what they actually mean and how does one decipher themselves as one or the other? Yeah, so essentially all three of those things are exactly the same, right? And in a, in a um, structural sense, you all three of those things can be just a sole trader. So sole trader means there's a business attached to an individual. So, for example, you might have a business that is um, Vanessa and, and that's your, your business and that's you and it's not attached to a company, it's not a P2I limited. So sole trader simply means business that's like a person in business. A freelancer, inverted commas, is a term to describe a, um, I suppose it's a way to describe an independent contractor, but I would suggest it's more maybe in a creative space. So I think in the industry, you would suggest that you would have um, hire a freelancer, someone to come in sort of ad hoc on a project as a contractor. Um, it's not a technical, it's not like a business technical term to be called a freelancer. It's not like a tax entity. It's just a way to describe um, you know, someone coming in on a project, for example, ad hoc. And an independent contractor is, is much the same. It just means that you are um, you're someone brought in to do a specific job. You're someone that's brought in to, to work on a specific project, for example, and you're independent from that sole trader or from that business. So I might hire an independent contractor to build a website, for example, because my business has nothing to do with building websites mm. does yeah. that make sense so they're all they're all kind of just different um terms for using for, for the same sort of thing except sole trader is actually a structure of a business mm. yeah definitely and i mean even for vk you've helped me like structure and define the way that i work with people as well and personally for myself i have um a team of freelancers that i utilize and i've been working with them for a really long time but the most important thing that i learned um and i'm sure nathan will agree is that having contracts in place even when you're working with other freelancers because at the end of the day you've got to understand that when you're stepping out of corporate you no longer have someone or a team there to quote-unquote protect you to tell you what's right right and what's wrong and I think for me when I was starting the business I um I came into situations where I didn't really know what my rights were and I would always heavily rely on you from a financial perspective to gain clarity and to understand like what are my actual rights as a sole trader in business and how can I protect myself? And I think that's where it's so important to, you know, come and keep into consideration that having those contracts is probably one of the most like prevalent things that you can do as part of your business, even if you're working with freelancers as well. So can you talk to me about when you're speaking with your clients and even just giving like financial advice to people, does it come up the question of like whether or not people have those contracts and, um, you know, how that kind of comes into change when it, you know, comes to tax time and things like that? Like, how does that even work? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like there's a few terms I want to just like present here and, and they may be a bit technical, but governance is a really strong word that everyone listening should write down, especially when starting up. I think scope is a really important term to be aware. And when we talk about contracts, 
um, and 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 the word terms as well is, is another really important word. So so basically what you want to do as a business, you know, you've got your sole trader business, you've set up, you're ready to start up, you, you've got um, all these ideas and things. You, everyone really easily can understand, here's my list of clients. But what you really want to do is have a list of um, suppliers as well, people you engage with. So anytime you engage someone to do a piece of work for you or for your business, you really need to have or understand the scope of what they're doing, what you've allowed them to do for your business or for you, and um, you know what um, is and what isn't in that scope. And that comes back to your um, what you were talking about before with freelancers, for example. So, understanding the scope of what they are going to do for you, and understand understanding the terms of how they're going to do that for you. So when you talk about um, you know, your, your governance is the word I'm going to use here. You want to know at any one time what, your, what the scope and the terms of everyone you're engaging is. Mm. So if you go and buy some stationery from Officeworks, that is a, you, you've gone and done a transaction and the scope is clearly that you're going to get some paper, for example. Um, the terms are you're going to pay them whatever they've asked for that. Mm-hmm. And pretty simple, you won't have any interactions after that. But as I said before, if you're starting up and you want a website built, you might engage someone to build the code but not the design. Mm. And that's really critical because depending on what kind of contractor or kind of freelancer, for example, you're engaging, Mm. they might have what's called scope creep and they might go and make wang bang, I've made a whole website, designed it, made the code, done an SE. I'm not sure what it's called, <laughs> SEO. <laughs> SEO, what's it called of this? And they really expect more money. But you as an, a startup can only afford to pay them what you agreed and for that and you had in your mind to do the other bits. So, so scope, really important to understand. And I advocate that everyone keeps, you know, just in Excel, keeps a register of all of these engagements. Mm. Um, you know, you should know on this date I've engaged um, for example, VK branding to do social media, and I know it's going to run till this day. And here's my contract with them as a link. You know, just link to your desktop or whatever you keep all your contracts. Yeah. And you should really. I know everyone. My wife laughs at me all the time when I talk about terms and conditions. You see it all the time. It's very. Um, it's not so important when you're buying. You know, some paper or <laughs> a lounge, right? But. Terms and conditions, especially in the services industry, is really important. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, if I didn't have my contracts in place, oh, there's just so much room for, not necessarily for like, um, I mean, I'm blessed with really great clients and I've really had like, you know, amazing time with them. I love them. They're fantastic. But there's so much room for things to go wrong when you don't have like just even having like a generic contract. So a lot of the questions that I get um, are where do people actually go? Like how do you create your contract? What do you utilize as like a foundation? So do you have any tips for even I guess when people, because you know how you spoke about the Excel, I was actually using Excel as you obviously know for so long before I got into the zero accounting system. But do you have any tips um, or words of advice for people who they're looking to write a contract and also how they keep their admin of their business. So when you're starting out, 
um, or if you're already started out, if you have a business that's going and you don't have adequate contracts in place, there's a lot of, look, you need a lawyer to write a contract, right? There's a lot of online resources which will provide you with um, like a template, for example. You don't necessarily need to go to, um, you know, Clayton Newt's lawyers, the biggest law firm, to, to get a, a contract for a, for a um, you know, website design or, or a freelancer, for example. There will be a lot of templates out. The issue that you have is you don't want to, you don't want to write up a contract yourself right? You don't want to write terms into the contract, which may be um, unenforceable. And so there's a balance between the cost of a contract. And look, you might have a contract that satisfies like a one-stop shop kind of thing where you can insert terms that suits you at the end, for example, which is very, you know, that's very practical. A lot of people have that. But be, be aware, you need to really um, um, you would likely have to pay for one. You'd have to get a lawyer or, or, as I said, online template from a legal, reputable legal firm that you'll pay. You still pay a few hundred dollars for them, but you can use them. Um, it's just, as I said, you don't want to have to be tinkering with them if you're not a lawyer because terms may be unenforceable. They may be, um, yeah, or they may not make sense even. Or you may find yourself entering into a contract you haven't thought about very well and the other party greatly benefits from it or you create your own loopholes, for example. So online you can find there's legal template libraries. You can pay for templates, for example, or my preference is for someone to engage a lawyer. And, you know, that might cost anywhere between one and $3,000 to get a really good suite of, of documents for a, for a smaller business. Um, which is going to just be, it's just going to protect you so much in the long term, particularly around IP rights and things. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, with all this business stuff, and it does come back to what you touched on at the very start, like the whole tax and GST. Okay. This is something that I know you laugh at me because you're like, this up. like, come on, you've got to do the 30%. When I started in business, did I have an idea about tax? No, I didn't. So <laughs> that was something that I had to instill to this day, like, you know, switching gears from corporate to running my own business, having people to pay business expenses, understanding super, like, you know, how I actually pay tax, all of that. It is a lot. And, um, you know, it's, it's so important to know this stuff now very early on in your business because if you wait too long, I know that, you know, you tell me stories where you get to the point like four or five years later, people owe like hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax because they didn't put any money away and they just have no, like they just have no understanding of like how much or maybe they just, they do and they just don't even like think about it. But I want to ask you, when it comes to tax for a small business, what are the most important things that you would say to someone percentage-wise when they should be charging um, GST? What is GST? And, yeah, all of that stuff. To loop back a little bit. So, as I said, every business needs to be registered with an ABN, okay? If you're out there soliciting work for, you know, consideration, if you're getting money for doing something or selling something, unless it's a hobby, so if you're baking cookies to sell in your neighbourhood or to your friends, that's okay. But if you are making money 
if you're charging someone a fee for a service or selling them a good, you need to be registered for an ABN. You're in business, you're registered for an ABN and you need to quote that ABN. If you register an ABN, you have a concept of um, registering for GST. So GST, you must register if you earn more. So turnover, which is like the, the top line. If you are collecting more than $75,000 in a year from your business, so um, it must be from the business. So if you're working at a job on the side and you earn 100000 and then you do a business, you know, which you only earn 20000 you only have to look at that business, right? Now, if you're making more than 75000 you must register for GST. That's, you just have to. And if you, you don't, then the tax office will deem you to be registered. And that's a problem, and I'll, and I'll explain that later. So if you're making less than 75000 you can choose to be registered for GST. You get a bit of a, um, you get a, bit of a, a concession. If you choose to be registered for GST, you can report once per year, mm -hmm. which is nice. You do a bit of an annual GST where you can claim all the GST you've paid and then pay the tax office all the GST you've charged. But to be really, really clear here, you must be registered for an ABN. And if you are registered for GST, you charge GST on top of your service invoice or your goods invoice. And for every business out here, because I know you've been caught a few times in terms of suppliers giving you invoices, I, I strongly advocate, and I'm happy to give the link to Vanessa um, to post after this. There's a thing called an ABN lookup. It's a government website. It's very simple. You just punch in the ABN and it tells you whether someone is registered for GST or not. So if someone gives you an invoice, let's pretend it's $1,000, uh, maybe a freelancer, for example. They give you an invoice for $1,000 and they've charged 10% GST on top. So they're asking you for $1,100. I would always check the ABN against the ABN lookup. And if they are not registered for GST, you shouldn't be paying the $1,100. You need to go and ask them to reissue that invoice for $1,000 because effectively what they've done is just basically charged 10% more. They don't, have any, they don't have any reporting obligation and you can't claim that GST back. So why would they be like what 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 would they why would they be doing that just basically to pocket some more cash? Oh, I I wouldn't I don't think there's a nefarious be <laughs> you know, um, always going mindset to, to everyone. I give everyone the benefit of the doubt in business. But look, you know, if you use something like zero or if you use you know a template, it's very easy that it just automatically adds GST, right? And people don't necessarily understand what that means all the time, particularly when you're dealing with smaller businesses and um and yeah so it's just it's just a really simple check as i said you know in your little spreadsheet your governance spreadsheet we talked about before it'd be good to put the contractor the supplier their abn whether they're registered for gst and whether you've checked that they're registered for gst you know if if you were paying someone a hundred thousand dollars for example for a service um you know, scaling up the business here a bit. But if you were paying someone 100000 let's say you were paying for a full rebranding, marketing, big shabamalam, right? You're paying 100000 
clearly you know by mathematical logic they have to be registered for GST. So if they weren't, you could flag that's a problem. Similarly, just while we're on, you know, tax registrations, if you are in, and this is really clear, and I think everyone that's listening should write this down, if you are engaging someone to do business for you, so again, use the example, use the example of, a, of a freelancer, if they don't provide you with an ABM, so they don't, they say, oh, I don't have an ABM, you either need to withhold 47% of the payment, right, to pay it to the tax office for them, or they have to provide you with, an, with a no ABN statement. So that's where they basically sign to say, this is a hobby or I'm not, I don't have an ABN for this reason. They have to give the reason and you can provide that to the tax office. So really clear. It's really easy for, um, it's really easy to miss that. But, you know, if that freelancer, for example, that we've discussed before said, here's my invoice for $1,000 for services. But it doesn't have an ABN on it. They just, you know, they just maybe they just started up and they didn't know they had to register or something, or they've been transacting without an ABN for a while. Mm. Then you, VK Branding, would have to say, okay, here's five hundred and thirty dollars payment, and I've paid the other forty-seven percent to the tax office for you. Wow. So you report that in your own business activity statement. But it's something that I just I, I see it quite a bit in. Um, I do work a lot with startups. And um, you tend to find it with, um, you know, as we used the term before, independent contractors. Yeah, it's it's really a key. So, you know, a t- key takeaway, you know, if if nothing else, is for for everyone with a business. As I said, make sure you understand what your suppliers' ABNs are. Make sure you understand if they are registered for GST. Understand your obligation to withhold and and it's really easy to say oh well i'll just pay them and probably they have an apn or something right but if tax office were to come audit you and and they do they do then they can ask you for that invoice and if that person doesn't have an apn let's say you did pay them a thousand they can ask you for that 470 still so if you are if you think about it, that one thousand dollar invoice just cost you one thousand four hundred and seventy dollars. Yeah, I think of these tax people like they're just like Yeah. I don't, I've, got, I've got this image in my head. Every time I talk about something, I'm like, oh my god, I don't want to go to jail. The tax people are watching me. I remember this is a little bit off off topic, but I have to mention it. I remember when Nathan, you were talking about these influencers who were making all this money and they were on YouTube and they were posting all, you know, their bags and their gifts and stuff like that. And you were saying that the tax people were coming after this, well, not coming after, but they were, you know, approaching this particular influencer and um, they were basically asking him, all right, so we've seen your YouTube videos, you've got Gucci, you've got LV, you've got Hermes, you've got all of these high-end products. Where is your statement? Like, how, like, where's your, um, you know, your tax, all of that? And they're like, oh, no, we got this as um, a gift. And then they would, like, stalk their social media because yeah. that's do they stalk your social media so you could be pretending that you're making like fifty thousand dollars a month a year sorry a month a year and then you've got um the tax people who are literally on social media finding these people who have a very very common theme of you know their their taxes going like up and down and they're obviously lying but guys if you don't know this honestly like 
please don't be silly when it comes to your tax because these people, it is literally their job to like search everywhere and they will find you. Like Nathan has literally put it in my head. Like if you do one little thing, I'm like, I'm going to jail. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, off topic, but yeah, you know, we, as a chartered accountant, you need to keep up your education and training. And part of that is listening and reading about tax cases and things every month. And and yeah, it was an interesting one. There were some YouTubers who basically the tax office just watches you, how many subscribers you have, and they know that YouTube pays you. And um, they took one to court and said, you owe us all this money because you made all this money. You know, YouTube's been paying you for content. And they, the, the I don't know what the name of the YouTuber was, but the YouTuber argued, no, it's just um, like a hobby. But the tax office correctly argued, well, you're actually, you do this full time, you spend, you know, five, six, seven hours a day, you have a whole business model, you, um, you know, you, there's also a, an agreement you sign with YouTube once you get to a certain amount of subscribers, um, which says you're going to get paid, basically, for your content, and that, that's YouTube protecting themselves, again, like their, that's their governance. Anyway, long story short, the the payments from YouTube became accessible income, which makes sense. You're working, right? It's not like there's no such thing as a free lunch. It was, I think it was Benjamin Franklin in, I don't know, 1800, who said there's only two things certain and death and taxes, right? Yes. So they had to pay tax on that, right? And the gifts, you know, um, people sending or rather like sponsors sending mm. bags and makeup and whatever, the value of those items became income that can get taxed, right? If someone sends you a $2,000 bag, you're going to have a $1,000 tax to pay on that, mm. right? It's just, it's just if, you know, when we talk about tax, if there's no such thing as a free lunch, mm. unless it's a hobby, different if it's a hobby or if it's what we call a windfall gain, right? If you just happen to win the lotto, it's mm. not a taxable event. If, if not, you know, but, if you're doing something and generating income, the tax office wants to get their grubby hands on it, and they will. And as you said, data matching is so prevalent now. It's just unbelievable what people think they can get away with. You know, I've seen another case where they just scanned people's Facebook and found like a Lamborghini, and they literally have people at the tax office who check number plates, who owns that in the background, who owns that, you know, um, certain famous counsellors who have huge weddings, who owns that car, who owns that car, check the number plate on that car, and they see someone with a Lamborghini but $20,000 of income, guess what they're going to do? They're going to come and ask you, where's, you know, all this money coming from? Oh, and, God. And it's just so, you know, um, another famous case, again, off topic, but, um, you know, one person had, for example, declared they had no money. And um, and they they did um, the the tax office basically found an insurance policy on a boat registered in their name that was not declared, but it was like a million dollar boat, right? And so they realised, well, why are you holding an insurance policy for this boat? So, wow. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, it's um, you know. If you're an influencer and you're charging people, I charge. I don't. I'm not sure how much they charge, but like if you're an influencer charging, you know, two hundred dollars for a post, you know, that is income to you. You need an ABN 
you need to charge someone an invoice for that and you need to pay tax. And, you know, you mentioned it before, what percentage and whatnot. I mean, largely that depends on your business structure, but I, I strongly, I strongly advocate that people consider a percentage of their income. And I'll, I'll just, I'll touch on that a bit more in a second, but you need to put money aside because tax is coming and, um, and it's and they're going to find out one way or the other and, and I think I can see more and more people you know they start businesses and they post their main channel for advertising is like Instagram or Facebook look how good I am look how look at this product I've sold so many of and you've simply opened the door for the tax office to come and say great that's good glad you're so successful show me your tax right um yeah, which is different to maybe 20 years ago when, you know, you might have a business. The only way you advertise is pamphlets to people's, I don't know, letterbox or something, right? It's a very different world. And, and as I said, they simply troll the ATO, just hires people to troll through, um, through all these social media posts and Facebook. And, I mean, there's clearly a risk-benefit-reward for them as well. If you're selling cupcakes for $2, it's probably not likely to be a big um, gain for them to come after you but as I said if you've suddenly got a new car registered and you've never had income well there might be a problem here so I just I want to throw another term out that mm. again I think everyone should write this down because um, it's phrase it's it's probably the most important concept for being in business and the term is solvency right and um, there's a, it's not a very popular opinion, but for example, when um, COVID hit and, you know, everything closed down, if you are running a business and you are truly solvent, then in the most technical sense, you should be able to shut your doors and not have any debt or not have any issue to pay your creditors or basically be able to shut down. Now, obviously that means you won't have income coming in after that. You then need to find a new income source. But there's a lot of stories about businesses, um, for example, you know, I'll take COVID as an example. Let's pretend you had a, a coffee. Sh- no, actually, let's pretend you had a, a nail salon because I have heard this particular story. Um, you know, the doors closed because of COVID and, you know, they are really upset and angry because they can no longer pay staff. They can't um, pay for... Um, the equipment that they were leasing and all of this, right? And and that's really sad. Obviously, that's not good. But in in a perfect and ideal, which is never the case, in a perfect scenario, a solvent business would not have that issue because you would always keep enough money. You would always have enough money set aside for the GST you've collected in that period, for the tax that you've incurred, for the sales you've made, for the lease obligations you have for the next twelve months. You know, for example, maybe credit cards or or debt uh, payables, for example, and you might have a little bit of debt as you have to go and collect. All of those things considered, what I see the most in startups, um, and not to embarrass you a bit, but um, a little bit when you started as well. I know that's you know, right. typically <laughs> <laughs> typically people don't understand this concept of solvency, mm. and what I see is. Um, you know, let's say $1,000 comes in, you just left your job, you started your own business, you're doing some freelancing, for example, and you 
you make some sales and a thousand dollars comes into your bank account you say that's great look how much money i'm making for example or and so so you spend that thousand dollars you know you spend maybe four hundred dollars on some nice dinners or lunch or whatever and you spend six hundred dollars on a new handbag i don't know for example so you spend the thousand dollars because you know guess what my contract's repairing next week i'm going to make another thousand dollars how good yes next week comes along you get a thousand you spend you buy a new laptop the next week comes along you got a thousand you put 600 into savings and your personal savings you've got 400 you maybe pay someone you see where i'm going so the concept is like cash in cash out and that's really exciting and it's really good but take for instance if you were working you know as a salary if you earned a thousand your employer would have withheld i don't know say 40 percent for example say 400 dollars, and you would get 600 yeah and you're pretty free to do whatever you want with that 600 because you know someone's already held the tax for you and you don't necessarily you know if you're an employee you don't necessarily have other creditors to pay leases whatever in business though you really need to adopt the mindset that the dollar you earn from your customer is not your dollar so um you know i if you're in a company structure you would have 30 percent tax liability straight away so we already know 70 percent. so every dollar only 70 cents is yours to start with yeah if you're registered for gst 10 percent is the tax offices as well so we're already talking about 40 percent of that dollar gone right now on top of that you also have obligations so for example you might have um you know in the beauty example maybe you have a i don't know laser machine that you lease for i don't know for example Mm. um and that might cost you i don't know ten thousand dollars a year so you need to provision for that that cost and that might be and again i'm just making up the number that might be another 10 percent of every dollar you earn because you might earn a hundred thousand in a year and you obviously have a ten thousand dollar lease obligation so again ten percent then you might say um a really hard concept for small businesses starting up is creating enough of a um a bank for yourself because your money is not if your money is not guaranteed right if your customer goes broke or doesn't want your service anymore or you might do a bad job not by your own fault whatever like business you know is is up and down you should try and aim for a year's worth of business in the bank as a as a pick you know as a as a safety net for you and that's really hard to do it might take a few years to get to that point and this is where you hear about businesses you know business owners um not being very rich <laughs> for the first couple of years right should we say they're making more should we say should what we i say said what? to you like remember when i said to you so we're going through my taxes and i go man I've, this is great and then nathan's like okay no because we've got to do xyz we went and did all the taxes and stuff and i said to him i go nathan when do i start becoming rich what's the point of making all this money and he's like i don't know <laughs> no yeah no nah. <laughs> unless you're in 
unless you're in a business where it's very, very, very high margins, um, very high volume from the get-go, like it's unlikely you're going to have. Um, but it, what I'm suggesting is, for example, in that example I've given, almost 50% of the money coming in was already gone for taxes, for liabilities. And then on top of that, you might have also 30% where you say, this is going to contribute to my, um, you know, no income bank. You know, my, it's not even tax savings anymore. It's just my money that I'm provisioning for not having income. Mm. So a very small percentage of that money is going to you. And that makes sense because think about any business, right? A business that turns over $100 million, I'd only have $10 million worth of wages for 100 staff or 200 staff, right? It's not like a business would pay 90% out in wages. Wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't be very profitable business. So you need to really think, I am not super rich from my $1,000, for example, invoice. <laughs> I am actually earning maybe, you know, maybe of that 1,000, 100 or 200 is really for me. That's what I can use to pay my rent pay my electricity, my mm. personal car, my personal coffees and lunch and dinner, you know, anything that's personal, I need to build that aside. And as I said before about solvency, if you did that correctly, when the doors shut because of something like COVID, for example, or maybe you get sick and can't work for a year, really common, you know, you might, or you start a family, for example, or you you know, you just want to have a break from business life because you can't have an annual leave, right? You should be able to, right, I can shut down the business. I can, no problem. I've got the money to pay my tax when it becomes due. I've got my GST for the quarter. I've got my provision for a year's worth of turnover now built up, yeah? And, you know, my lease payment, for example, I can make my final lease payment on my laser machine and return it. You should... You should be in a position, and I really strongly advocate it, and this is what bigger companies do. Bigger companies have to remain solvent, and they have a whole team of people to do this, but the smaller startups, it's a very difficult concept. You should always be in a position where you can sleep at night knowing, I could shut down tomorrow. It's really grim, but I could shut my whole business down tomorrow and not have one single problem other than clearly... I've got to go find a new income source or a new business, for example. But my existing business should always remain solvent. And, you know, as I said, just I, if I give you a number, it would be 30%. Just park 30% in a separate bank account that you do not touch and you pay all your tax from there. Stay vigilant on what expenses you're incurring, um, you know, and what liabilities you're, you're you know, if you have a lease, um, maybe car payments in a business, for example, that are leased, like things like this. You've got to remain vigilant about how much that's going to cost you and provision for it. And just do not spend 100% of what comes in. And, um, yeah, and, and separate your personal life from your business funds. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, okay. So a few things I want to say. 
Um, number one. A lot of group doom and gloom there, but it's really, yeah, really yeah. important. <laughs> but I just want to say to someone from the business um, perspective, I don't want this to, you know, if you're starting out in business and you're like, oh, fuck, like this is this sounds like awful. I've got to pay all this money. Don't let this stop you from like doing what you're doing. But the one thing I will say, like I was so bad with my money when I started. I'm not going to lie. Nathan knows this. He used to see my account. He'd be like, what's going on here? I used to live week to week from the business and I would use the money from the business. And that's why when I would, you know, like if I had, um, you know, ended a contract with a client or something was going on or I need to pay big expense for like a car service outside the business, you have to take into consideration that as much as it, you know, it takes time to build up your um, your safety net in case we go through another pandemic and, you, you know, you can't work, you don't want to be relying on government funds or grants, sorry, I should say. You don't want to be relying on taking money out of your super. You do not want to be in a position where you are unable to pay your rent because at the end of the day, we are not living in a free country, guys. We have to be realistic. If you're making some cash cash on the side, like even just putting... $20 away, if that's the most that you can put away when you're starting out, I promise you, and I'm sure Nathan can agree, that is better than nothing, but you have to be realistic and you've got to understand this was a very hard concept for me to grasp. The money that I'm making is not my money. So it doesn't, oh, yours. Mean, <laughs> so it doesn't mean we go out post lockdown and have a party. However, you can definitely celebrate and live your life. And obviously having a business, it's your business. That's amazing. And I've always been one to really um, make sure that I am um, celebrating my wins. But I also have a lot of responsibilities. I've got business expenses. I have people to pay now. And the more money you make, the more you realize you put that money back into your business if you're smart, back into marketing, back into paying more people to help you, delegating, doing what you got to do. So I will just say on that, it does sound a little bit overwhelming, but at the end of the day, this is all stuff that you need to know. And um, I'll put all those terminologies in the show notes. So then you guys can just um, reiterate and go back and do a bit of your own Googling. But thank you so much, Nathan. That was really, really good. The next thing I want to ask you, because we're talking about the percentage of 30%, stuff like that, you can use my business as like a general like example. But for someone who's like, okay, great, I've started a business. I'm making, you know, about $1,500 a week, let's just say, or $2,000 a week. And it's just them. They don't have to pay anyone. From a budgeting perspective, because I know that you love budgeting. You are psychotic with the budgeting. <laughs> like if you should see Nathan's. I'm an accountant, of course. I love I a spreadsheet. <laughs> like budgeting seems really fun. You go, I'm not going to do this budgeting. Like I think everyone did a little budget plan after they read The Barefoot Investor. Um, but for someone who's like, oh, okay, shit, I really have to put a budget together. I really got to like literally, um, you know, create percentages of what I'm going to use for personal, business, rent, fun, stuff like that. How would someone like divide that up? Like what are some like generic um, and top line percentages that you would recommend for someone who has a business? If we made some like, rules, quote unquote, mm. um, you know, for a startup, I would say a sole trader startup, you would be very safe with provisioning 30% for tax, right? You, you may be just depending on how much you earn, but you may end up having a little bit more to pay, but it won't be significant or you might get a refund, right? But if you're always putting 30% away, you're going to be starting with a really safe safety net maybe as well 10 to 15 percent 
um, business savings. That's your kind of, um, I guess, longer term, just in case you don't get any more work type thing. Um, and then beyond that, you, you kind of, depends on what your business, I suppose, is. Um, as you said, if it's just you, that, that might be enough because you don't really have any, um, you know, leases or obligations or anything like that. So you can, you can provision, you know, in that example, 45% of your income aside. Obviously, if you have GST, mm. you need to keep that 10%. Do not spend it because in three months, you're going to have to pay it to the tax office. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in that example, you know, if you provisioned 45%, and I would really strongly suggest, I mean, it's up to your own, you know, you know position, but I would suggest you open a different bank account called tax, right? And I would also impart that each business has a transaction account and a savings account. And please do not spend personal expenses from your business account. That's my, they're my tips, like top tips in terms of bank and, and tax and percentages. You know, if, if I had to give you a percentage, I would say 30%, put it aside. <clears throat> yeah. Mm, that's great. 10 to 15% in your business savings. That's not your personal saving for a new house or saving for a car. Mm. Um, that's your rainy day fund, effectively. Um, and then the rest you can use for your, you can either pay to yourself or if you have other business costs, you can use for that, no problem. Um, mm. bit, bit more complex if you have staff and things like that. But yeah, that would be really good. And And it's really easy online to set up more than one bank account. So tax account, business saver, business transaction, and just write it on a big fat post-it note. None of those dollar, none of those accounts are yours. They're not your money, right? That's your business. That's your hard-earned business accounts. And then you have your own, you know, you have your own, you know, you might have savings and transactions for your personal life, which you take money out to spend different, different money. Yep. A pretty good rule for startups. Yeah, that's great. I mean, who would have thought I'd be so excited to talk about like tax and finance and budget? I know we've been talking about tax for half an hour now. I can't believe it. I love it, honestly. People I think- normally fall asleep by now. No, it's you know what? It's because like I mean, at the end of the day, you've just got to be realistic. I'm very open, like you know, with finances and stuff like that with the business. I've got like I like sharing my wins with people, and I think that's exciting. But I'm also a very realistic person because of you though, because you realize at the end of the day, when you're starting a business, please don't start a business to think that you're going to be a millionaire in a year. Because like when you hear those stories, I promise you, they are the exception to the rule. You need to be realistic and you need to just think at the end of the day, if you don't give it a try and give it a hundred percent and you do things right by the book, you're never going to know what you are, like what your potential is. So what I wanted to ask you is, um, and I just find it really funny, and you're going to laugh at me, the meme that I always share with you, oh, I'm just writing this off to the tax people. Who? I don't know, the tax people, the write-off people. <laughs> when people are writing stuff off for their business, Nathan, come on. Like what can we can and can't write off? Like just super top line, um, coffee dates, bags hair like I've asked you everything like can I ride my hair off can I ride getting my nails done all that stuff I mean 
everyone should have their own tax agent, right? But it's but I appreciate and most of the most of the nature of this podcast is that it's very hard to get good advice without paying for it. And look, there's a there's the tax concept, right? Of are you incurring an expense necessarily in gaining or producing your income? And that all that mumbo jumbo means is did I have to spend this money to earn my income for the business? Mm. So there's some side bits to that and the side bits are, and I'm talking really, you know, basic here, but, you know, is the expense private and domestic in its nature? Mm. Is the expense um, capital in nature? And let's just use the examples you said. So. An easy example is I need to buy some print, I need to buy some ink for my printer for my business, right? And if that's your work printer, fine. You know, that's a deduction, right? You got a tax deduction for that. Um, the, the why I said before as well, don't spend money out of your personal funds out of your transaction account is um, you want to keep it really delineated, really separate. So if you spend money and it's partially in relation to your business and partially in relation to private, then you need to think about, I can only claim the deduction to the extent that it's relating to my business. Yeah. If you buy an iPad, right? I don't know, a thousand dollars, you buy an iPad, but you've got three kids that are using it all day. And you really just sometimes check your emails on that iPad. That's not a business deduction to write off right? Now, you have to make a reasonable assumption. The ATO is not going to come to your house and watch your family for a few days and take notes of how often, you know, the kids are using the iPad, right? But you need to say, I've got an iPad, it's got a thousand games installed on it, and it's got one, you know, Microsoft Outlook for my business or Excel or something. Maybe it's 20% of the time, I'm just making up a number here, used for my business, right? And so your actual write-off is 20% of the $1,000. So I'm ignoring depreciation and all of those things. But but you see what I mean? And, and you know, um, a common one as well is like rent. You live in your house, right? It's private and domestic in its nature. The technical term for the use in business is its ancillary purpose, right? It's a secondary purpose to use the the house. What I mean by that is if you rent an office, its primary purpose is your business use. If you happen to sleep in the office, then its ancillary use or its secondary use is that you're living in it, (laughs) right? And that's really important because that means my rent is not 100% the business tax deduction. Just because my business pays for it doesn't mean that it's, you know, when we talked about before, oh, I've got my business transaction account. Well, just because my business pays, I don't know, $1,000 a week in rent doesn't mean I get $1,000 a week in tax deduction. I need to really think about, and there's a trillion <laughs> concepts on, on deductions apportionment for rent. There's some basic concepts from the ATO, there's cases, blah, blah, blah. But you really need to think about all right, maybe I've got a five-bedroom house, my whole family living there, and I sell candles out of one of those bedrooms. 
and I have my office in one of those bedrooms and it's not shared with the kid's bed or anything. It's just got my files and it's locked and it's got my business in there. Well, I need to start thinking about what well, $1,000 a week that I pay in rent, maybe one, you know, 20% or 10% of that or whatever is relating to that room. And the tax office will go hard on you. They might say it's more like 2% because you only work seven hours a week and you only work in one out of 10 rooms in the house and it's only for five out of seven days a week. So you're really cutting it down, right? Anyway, the point is not what percentage should I claim, right? That's for you to work out. But the point is to know just because I spend money through my business account does not make it a tax deduction. If you go out, you said, for example, coffee with a client, well, I'm going to ignore the FBT consequences. But if you just go and buy a coffee for yourself, as much as I argue that should be deductible because I need a coffee to get through the day, <laughs> it's not, right? If you buy, you might be, um, you might be, you know, well, your business, for example, right? You have to see clients and, you know, you deal with beauty clients and things like that. You simply buying new clothes because you want to look good for your meetings and things like that or your webinars or whatever does not equate to a tax deduction. Did you hear that, ladies? (laughs) (laughs) If you're an influencer and you're buying stock, you know, if your job, if you're earning 100 grand a year for promoting products, online and you have to go and buy from the shop i don't know i'm just the only brand i know you have to buy some mecca lip gloss yeah to then promote that product clearly that's an item of stock right you're buying it to make money for yourself because you're buying it to showcase it to to whatever to get views or clicks or whatever Mm. and um but if you just buy a, I don't know, a, a product and then you happen to say, oh, how good is this product? Like it's, you know, the concept is it's just the, the true purpose of it was private and domestic in nature, you know, and you're not, you're not buying something to gain your income. You, another way to think of it is would I still make that same money if I didn't have this purchase? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, does that make sense? I mean, yeah, it's, it's very hard without looking at the specifics but as a concept yeah totally everyone should write that down if I spend it it's not a deduction necessarily and I think it's it comes down to the type of niche that you're in that's really you have to make the assumption that that is relevant for your business within that niche because what's relevant for me for a tax write-off may not be relevant for you for a tax write-off so yeah I think yeah that's that's right depends on your business Absolutely depends on your business. That's why I always think it's strange. I see Officeworks advertising at the end of the year. You know, everything's deductible at year end, you know, do those 30 June ads. And I think, but that's not true. You know, if I'm a POIG employee, if I go and buy, you know, I don't know, you know, Officeworks sells weird shit. If I go and buy some water and um, Mentos. Yeah, 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 mint, yeah. Doesn't mean I can take a tax deduction for it. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that is even so- even necessarily. You know, if I don't work from home, let's say I'm a builder, and you know, if I go and buy a new computer from Office Works, and I'm just a builder that works for someone, 
you know, what the heck has that got to do with me earning money building construction sites, right? <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything. So it's just, it's really, and, you know, people do get upset and they say, oh, that's not fair, you know, but why shouldn't I get a tax deduction and I want a refund and all of this? But, like, is it not fair? Because if you, like, if VK Branding writes off everything, how is that fair to me as an example, as an employee? I can't write off everything. Yeah, totally. You know, and it is. The idea is to is to tax you on the income you earn less the costs you had to pay to get that income. Mm. If that's a good takeaway, that's probably probably what I would say everyone should should write down. Put that one on your website. Yeah. The income you earn less the costs you you have to pay to get that income. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I can't stop yeah. laughing thinking about when I do my Amazon purchases and everyone's like, what have you got today, Dal? I'm like, well, I've just been on Amazon. I got something like I, I got know. a laptop holder because I can't see properly and then I got this new keyboard <laughs> and I got this new, like Amazon, honestly, I swear. But for me, I mean, it is part of my niche because I work from home. I've got my office at home, so I need all these little things. I mean, some stuff you're going to look at and you'll be like, what is this head scrubber that you've bought in this neck strap like stretcher thing but anyway it's very interesting so i think you you've given I have a deduction for that by the way do you <laughs> see you can't get a deduction for your neck scrubber <laughs> my head scrubber when i'm like it releases tension because i'm stressed from work <laughs> oh, i've seen some i've seen so many weird over my years like a weird just people having a go right but they're trying to claim for a tax deduction okay speaking of that I want to switch gears I want to ask you when you're working with these startups and like these massive businesses because you do work with businesses that you know they're in the millions what's some I guess what are some common things that you come across that even the people who are making million dollars and then the startups if there are any like common business like challenges or questions or mistakes um well, exactly the concept we just talked about, but scaled up obviously to massive, massive numbers, right? You know, people, most of the people listening, I imagine, to this podcast won't be really <laughs> excited about, no, they won't be really excited about like accounting and things like in terms of financial reporting and stuff like that. It's probably not really necessary. Mm. Um, but, you know, you see all the time people doing crawls, you know, estimating expenses for future periods and that might be hundreds if not millions of dollars hundreds of thousands if not millions right and then when you tell them like actually you haven't really um what we would say incurred any expense it's not really anything you've just made up a number almost you can't have a tax deduction for that <laughs> and they're like what but it's an expense right i've got it on my PL, right why can't i have it? so look there's a there's a, a concept of spending money, there's a concept of accounting, and there's a concept for tax, right? And reconciling them all is not always easy. It takes quite a long time, takes a lot of skills. Um, yeah, I, I guess that would be the biggest. Mm. Um, and even in big businesses, still that concept of personal expenses can um, comes up quite a lot. Um, you know, I got an example. You know, a business with like 200 million turnover, but all the owners have, you know, very expensive luxury cars in the business. And the nature of the business 
you know, it wouldn't make sense to own a Ferrari in that business. Like you wouldn't, there's no business use. It's really just private. And there's a whole tax regime, which we won't get into around taxing these fringe benefits, right? But it can be, it can be the difference of hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? What we talked about before, taking that 10, 20% out as your personal money, then you go and spend that. The same thing occurs in big businesses, right? You need to take the money as salary or, you know, a dividend or bonus or whatever, and then spend it. But if you use the company or the business for private stuff, you need to deal with it as if you had taken it. And yeah, and other than that, I mean, I guess a little bit of the solvency problem, people taking on too much debt, taking on too much um, liability, Um, you know, as you would say, like writing checks, you can't cash. People want to be millionaires overnight. Um, Unfortunately, it's just not the case 99% of the time. Yeah, thanks social media. (laughs) (laughs) yeah thanks social media it's all those like ridiculous scam youtube you want to get rich in 10 minutes here's how just buy my book you know it's all them right people think i'm getting in this pyramid scheme i'm going to make all this money and 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 it it certainly you know it's less prevalent as i said in big business because you have so many people you know you can afford to pay advisors and lawyers and you know a board of directors and tax you know you can afford to properly have governance on that but it happens um and yeah and i suppose actually there is one more good thing which employee or contractor right really 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 see it a lot really really the ato really hammering down on it but someone is engaged if you engage someone to do work for your business you need to determine whether they're an employee or whether they're an independent contractor or a freelancer as you said before you can be employing someone without knowing, right? And the employment, employee-employer relationship can be um, can exist. And you actually have entitlements and things to them, super that you have to pay to them, annual leave maybe, depending on the nature of the contract or the other services. You know, you have all these things building that you might not be aware of. And big businesses get in trouble with this all the time, you know. They, they want to engage contractors. Oh, here's, you know, they tell them go get an ABN and this person go gets an ABN and then they just pay them no super, they don't pay withholding, they just pay them. And then they get in trouble. You know, I've seen big businesses get in huge amounts of trouble for that. You know, the ATO comes and audits them, says all these people are employees. The mere fact of having an ABN does not make you a contractor, right? You, you, that person is an, a, is, is an a employee and then so every time you don't withhold properly, you can get a $5,000 fine. That's, think about that. Imagine you had 10 employees for a year. That's 1,200 instances of a $5,000 fine. And I'm not good at That's math. a lot of money. It's like a lot of money. <laughs> and then imagine, you know, each of them got, I don't know, let's pretend 100,000. So 10 times 100,000 is a million for the year worth of wages. And that's 9.5% before July last year. That's 95000 worth of super you haven't paid that you need to come up with now, for example. And you don't get a tax deduction because you paid it late. So it's just like, it's just all this stuff. Look, not to doom and gloom again. We always, I always feel like the bad doom and gloom guy when I talk about tax and issues, but it's really just 
you know, as you said, what is an issue that big businesses face? It's the same thing small businesses face, but just on a larger scale. Yeah. Right. And it's just, you know, it gets eliminated a lot more because of the breadth of advisory you can get at scale with a bigger business. It's harder for a small business. As you said, there's not a lot of free resources online. There's not a lot of good podcasts. I see a lot of misinformation. You know, I see a lot of YouTube, you know, business people that are like, yeah, just write everything off and put everything, put your car, put your house, put your life, put your loan through everything through your business. It's awesome. You can make so much money. And it's just like people are suckered to that or people go off and have cash businesses because they're in so much debt before and they want to pay off their credit card. So they start a cash business on the side of, I don't know, making something on the side, right? Like making candles or something and they just rack up all these selling all this stuff and they're not realizing all these other issues or complications but because someone told them on youtube they can lodge a tax return and claim all these deductions <laughs> you know it's just that's the difference i suppose to the big business to the small businesses just level of or access to greater advice and governance um but everything we've spoken about today Everything we've spoken about today, you can find online from the government. Everything we've spoken about today, you can find from, you know, maybe fair trading, especially around contracts and things. All the information is there. Sometimes it's hard to, like, um, wrap your head around it if you're not, if you're new to it. Because let's face it, like, no one starts a business because they're good at business governance. You start a business because you have a killer idea or you have really good skills that you want to you know share or make money from you know what i'm saying you're really good at business because of that Mm. not because typically you have really good business skills and that is where people fall into trouble yes yes Mm. yes yes everything you have said has just been so good and i guarantee there's going to be people who are writing down all these little terms and the budget planning and everything because you've just said it's so easy for people to understand, which is exactly why I wanted to have you on because to your point, there's not a lot of, um, well, there's like, there's not like obvious platforms and resources that people go to. I've been lucky enough that obviously you're my brother and you've helped me a fair chunk within my business, but for other people, it's just like loose information or it's from, you know, social media or Google and stuff like that. But yeah, so I think that's really important that we spoke about everything um especially for the people who are just starting in their business or maybe like they're in a year or two and they're like oh shit I didn't even know that I needed to get my freelancers who have ABN um ABN numbers and stuff like that so thank you so much that has been perfect um to finish this off I wanted to ask you I mean I know we've spoken about a lot of the generic stuff about business and tips and GST and tax Mm. and blah 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 but all the fun stuff all the fun stuff, but is there anything else that you would like to add that you would just want to give, um, you know, some tips or advice to anyone in business? The only other piece is like don't start a business if you're heavily in debt. You know, try and make your world neutral before you decide to quit your job and start a business is a really good tip. As I said, you know, you let's say you've got 30 grand worth of credit card debt and you think, the way to solve that is going to be, you know, starting a business and getting 30 grand of income in. Um, but as I said, you know, what, what you'll see is, okay, 30 grand comes in, you pay off your personal credit card debt, 
and then suddenly you have a $10,000 tax bill that you can't pay or you have to then, you know what I'm saying? So don't start a business if you are in debt. Try and get yourself neutral in terms of um, assets and liabilities. Also, um, you should really have savings before you go out and start a business. It's harder to, it's easier to say than it is to do, but, you know, you should have a year's worth of, you know, if you earn $100,000 a year at the moment, for instance, you're doing a job in a corporate, you know, as a salary, what your goal should be is that at least having a bank of money before venturing out into the um, business, because you might not have any income for a few months that you start your startup, right? So having enough money, again, like solvency, having enough money to pay your rent or pay your mortgage, you know, feed yourself, feed your kids, whatever it is, having enough money for, you know, ideally a year, but, you know, six months or three months, whatever it is, knowing that you're comfortable that, all right, I maybe not be able to splurge and go on holidays, but I'm able to pay for my groceries and my phone bill and keep myself awake, even if I made not $1 for the next six months. Mm. Yeah. So really having that safety net will, will just, it will just, the first five years of your business will be so much different because you will have, you will be building your squirrel dollar business account much faster. You won't be relying, you won't be stressed. You won't be, you know, sleeping sleepless nights or whatever. Mm. So that would be a really good tip. And it, and if you think about it, it gives you more time, you know, while you're, you might say, you might set a goal one year from now, I'm going to start my candle making business, for example or my, I don't know, personal training business or something. And I know in the next year, I'm going to get all my advice, get all my contracts ready, get all my, you know, understand all my GST, my ABN, I'm going to get all my business accounts registered and set up. And then I'm going to give my notice right at the end of that. And I'm going to have my, all my savings ready. I suppose the summary of the last two points, you know, get yourself solvent and get yourself some, you know, some money for a rainy day. The summary really of those is, don't rush into starting a business. Mm. And, um, and I think to stress as well, really, really importantly, take a common sense approach, right? When you make a plan for a business, take a common sense approach because, you know, I'm going to make, I don't know, let's say $200 for each service I provide and I'm going to provide it, you know, 500 times every week, mm. right? That's and all I have to do is, you know, work seven days a week and 12 hours a day, and it's going to be awesome. I'm going to make $10,000 a week. Like that doesn't pass my sniff test. And you should have that concept. You should know what's realistic, right? Is someone promising me that I'm going to make, you know, $10,000 a week and I'm going to work two hours a week? Please use your brain that that is not logical right? You, you have to see that something is wrong there. And the more something doesn't make sense, if it sounds more and more lucrative, the more you should do your due diligence on it. Yeah. I, I, I have a theory that, that the average person's time is worth anywhere between $100 and $300 an hour. So if you use that multiple, if you say, I'm going to, I don't know, work like a normal business week, seven hours a day, five days a week, right? That would be $10,000 for that week. 
and that's $300 an hour. So you've got to be doing something really good, right? And at the lower end, you know, it's about, you know, three, you say for $100 an hour, and you're really working seven hours a week, five days a week. Mm. You're talking about about $3,000 a week. That's a lot of money as well. If you're earn, if you're going into business and the other way around and you're saying it's going to be so good because I'm going to earn $100 a week, it's probably not enough for your time. Mm. If you're going into business and you think you're going to make $50,000 a week, you're probably going to be, it's not impossible, of course. It's actually really practical if you were scaled up and things, right? Mm. But to make $50,000 a week is not necessarily going to come from one person's personal exertion. Yeah, so you need to then hire people, get in contracts, lease equipment, whatever it is, right? You're going to have a lot of outgoing. Um, and in this real-world example, you know, this person said, I'm going to make so much money, you know, I'm quitting everything that I've ever done because I'm going to do this um, business. And what they found was actually it's not as lucrative. The, the exclusivity wasn't there, for example. Like they weren't guaranteed that money. It's just they've multiplied, they've made up their own numbers. Vet yourself, like vet your own ideas. Get someone to check them. Check them that, you know, if you could earn 100 grand as a salary employee and if you could then, if you think you're going to earn 100 grand for the same amount of hours in your business, that probably makes sense if it's, you know, just you doing work. Um, don't underestimate how much money and how much time scaling costs. And so to, oh, I'm going to make $700,000 per year. Well, maybe you need a lot of costs and you need a lot of help and you need a lot of um, time and maybe you're not skilled yet to do that. So really important with that business plan is just be really sensible with it. Mm. You're not going to make a million dollars profit in year one, typically, unless you're, I don't know, you're not going to make a million dollars profit most of the time by doing massages on the weekend yeah, or selling candles, yeah. right? It's nothing to say you won't make a million dollars profit at some point in time by selling candles because you, you know, scale it up to be this huge enterprise that makes a trillion candles a year. I don't know, right? You're the next big thing. But that starts with reasonable scale to start with. You're usually only talking about one person's time, yeah? And you only have a certain amount of hours in a day and a certain amount of hours in a week, and everyone's motivation is different. So you need to really um, peel back the excitement. And as we went extensively into discussions of before, that whole $10,000 you're thinking of making is really more like 7000 after tax, is really more like, 5000 after all your costs and if that 5000 after tax and after cost costs you you know 16 hours a day 7 days a week i would suggest it's not worthwhile right because that's not you can't keep doing that and similarly if you say well i'll just do that for a week or two but the minute you scale it back to 5 hours a day you suddenly only make $2000 or $1000 a week it's not a very viable business model really Get your business plans, your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Really write down, here's what I think I'm going to make. And just challenge them. Play devil's advocate with yourself. You know, just challenge them and say, all right, I think I'm going to make this much money. 
but here's what I think is going to be the problem. You know, someone else, if, if I can just go and start this business and make $10,000, why wouldn't someone else just start this business and make $10,000 a week? What differentiates me? Well, maybe I'm just really good at this thing or I'm well known. So, and then if someone else starts it, will I now lose half of my income? Yeah. So don't, people shouldn't get, they should be excited about starting a business, but they should not ever get to a grandeur, you know, visions of I'm going to make a trillion dollars a week because I Googled that there's 26 million people that in Australia and 80% of them buy candles. Mm. And therefore, if I charge $100 and I only have to pay from China $10 for that candle, wow, I'm going to make, you know, there's just people can make any number up they want, right? But, and you laugh, right? But it's, it's really think about how dangerous that concept is. I'm going to quit my job and I've got all these bills to pay, but I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to make a trillion dollars selling candles, for example, because I've done this maths and it sounds so good. So I think, um, I think that's a, a good takeaway, you know, with some savings, get yourself ready, do your, understand what you're trying to do and don't, you know, and, and be, be as conservative as possible or challenge your own ideas as much as possible. Yes, research your market. Hello, research the market. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, but you've got to, like, if there's no gap in that market and you're just doing what the same Tom, Dick and Harry are doing, you're not going to be getting any closer to that $10,000 a week. Uh, I'm I'm just being realistic. I'm in social media and marketing and branding. There's a million different people who are doing what I'm doing. Um, so you've got to find your niche. You've got to find why you're different to those people. And as Nathan said, use your common sense. Like, please, like, I know we get excited when we see there's multi-level marketing, this and that, and not saying that they, it's not a thing, but, um, yeah, you just pyramid schemes, pyramid <laughs> schemes. I know. I don't know if we're allowed to use that word pyramid schemes, but, um, yeah, just be, just be realistic guys. But Nathan, thank you so much. This yep. is so great. I have been waiting to get you on the podcast. So we can talk about this and it's basically been two years of me nagging you, Nathan, what about this? Nathan, what about that? So I'm glad now that we have a resource like solely dedicated to just people in business. If people wanted to learn more about how they can work with you if they're ready or maybe if they wanted to search for, um, you know, accountants, financial advice, would you recommend that people just like literally Google financial advice, uh, advisory people or accountings depending on their niche? Um, Depending on your niche, yeah. Because look, a lot of stuff we've talked about is just generic business stuff. I'm not an expert in social media, for example, other than what I know from you, clearly with my uh, <laughs> terminology knowledge. Yeah. You know, I'm not an expert in a lot of things. What you need to do is um, just find uh, the price point that works as well. You probably don't want to be, as a startup, paying $400 an hour for an accountant's time. Mm. But you may set aside a couple of grand for that initial time to get everything in place. It's the same with what we talked about with the contracts. Do the Swiss model, I would say. Mm. Take three quotes and take the second cheapest because the cheapest one's probably going to be really bad. The most expensive one you don't need. So take the second lowest, right? If you get five quotes, second lowest. Yeah, if you get three, take the middle. So that would be my advice to say, look, go and get, do all your homework first, of course, and go and get advice um, at, at a level that sort of helps you at that point in your business mm. and there's so much free there's so many free resources 
mm. just you know starting a business is your whole life right then you should take that extra two days where you review and write down your business plan and stuff yeah for sure love it thanks nathan thank you so much awesome and we'll give a bit of a summary to you so you can put it on your on your website totally love it thanks nathan awesome all right thanks so much